<clears throat> Chapter one, looking for a better way. You are everything that is. Your thoughts, your life, your dreams come true. You are everything you choose to be. You are as unlimited as the endless universe. Life, for most of us, should be pretty good. We have all heard that life is supposed to offer endless opportunities, fulfillment of our dreams, and a chance to live each day in a way that brings happiness and success. Most of us want and need at least a successful job or career, a good family life, and reasonable financial security. We expect that from life. We know deep down inside that we deserve our fair share and we have every right to attain it. Have you ever wondered then why things don't work out the way they should? Why do we not get from life many of the things we would like to have and feel we should have? Why do people seem to be lucky while the great majority of the rest of us seem not to be? Why are some people day-to-day happier and more productive and more fulfilled than others? What makes the difference? Is it kismet, a kind of fate, that in some mysterious way charts our destiny and leaves little of the steering over the course of our lives up to us? Is the control of our lives in our hands or isn't it? And if we can or should control our lives, what, what goes wrong? What holds us back? If we truly would like to do better the way we really would like to be and the happier, more successful every day in every area of life, what is the wall that stands in our way? An unlimited life of practical potential. Imagine living a life that did not give in to the barriers and battlements, the hassles and the hurdles of everyday living. Imagine a life filled with the vitality of achievement and the enrichment of daily self-fulfillment. To me, for a long time, that kind of life sounded like an impractical dream, a cardboard box filled with daydreams and wishes. To live a life of hope, promise, expectation, and achievement was to live the life of someone who lived only in the pages of a book. When I was quite young, I had a soaring imagination. Long before I learned what we could not do, I dreamed of doing what I knew we could. I remember as a young boy laying back home in the cool, soft grass late at night, my mind sinking upward into the depths of the crystal clear stars that blackened the summer sky above me. I could reach out and touch the stars. I could imagine any dream and see it come true. It was only later that my dreams gave way to more practical considerations. Star-filled heavens, dew-soaked grass, and princely dreams of imaginary kingdoms bowed no more to rational requirements. As I began to pursue my education in earnest, I began to learn what we could not do. In time, I became more interested on studying the laws and limitations of man than in learning the far-reaching extremities of mankind's potential. I learned all of the shoulds, the musts, and the cannots. I was told that it was bad to have your head in the clouds, and it was good to have your feet on the ground. So I extracted my head from the magical excitement of the universe and got down to business of learning the more practical matters of survival and acceptance. From time to time, I had the nagging suspicion that there was more to all of this than that was meeting the eye. I just couldn't see it yet. It was years before I decided it was time to stop and look at the stars again. But I did. The results that was one of... That was one small decision changed my direction and my life. By the time I stopped and sank once again upward into the stars, I had completed a 20-year odyssey that took me from the back roads of Farmland Village to the towering offices of New York Madison's Avenue, from a quiet countryside of wheat fields to the negotiating tables of a three-pieced suit attorneys and well-groomed marketeers. My odyssey took me to snow-covered Midwestern college campuses and palm-lined streets of Western universities. Somewhere, during that time, I began to wonder and dream again, as I had as a young boy years before. But what if we could, I wondered. 
What if we could find what's stopping us and turn it around? What if there is an answer and no one else has looked in the right place? What if any of us at any time could reach up and touch the stars? I began the first part of my research by studying something called human behavior. It's something you can get a degree in without ever really figuring out what it is. It is also something that older people seem to know more about than younger people. And no matter how much educational degrees my professors could profess, I suspected some of the silver-haired older people I knew had figured out what human behavior was about long before we were taught courses in the subject. I next studied something called motivational marketing that teaches us that what makes people do what they do even when they don't want to do it. When I completed my coursework, it was my final opinion that you could never really get anyone to do anything they don't want to do unless you use force. I decided that in most of the world, forced is called advertising. In time, I found myself walking the halls of academia psychology. It's a good field, deserves our attention and our respect. A lot of people who have lived richer lives because someone cared to take the time to listen. Yet, despite all the good people I encountered and useful information I learned along the way, nowhere in my studies of business, religion, motivation, or psychology had I found a concrete solution to the question of how the average individual could touch the stars in his or her heaven and still keep both feet solidly on the ground. Eventually, I recognized that if I was going to find what I was looking for, I would have to set a new course and search in a different direction. To find the specific answer I sought, I would have to embark on a journey of my own, and I knew there had to be a better way, something that was obvious, perhaps, something that might have been overlooked. I believed that mastering one's future must surely start with mastering mastering oneself, and if we could accomplish that, we could manage and master at least part of what we call life. As I continued to study the inner workings of the human mind, I decided to look further into the brain itself, and it was there that, in time... I found many answers and one simple, undeniable solution that would shed life-changing new light on why we, as humans, fail to live up to so much of our incredible potential and what we can finally do to change that. Chapter 6, The Wall. All of us talk to ourselves all the time. Our self-talk may be spoken in words or unspoken thoughts. It can take the form of feelings, impressions, or even wordless physical responses, like the clutch in the stomach that comes when we are surprised or afraid, the rush that comes with excitement or joy. We are thinking machines that never shut down. From childhood, we have been watching, listening to, sifting, sorting, analyzing, judging, cataloging, and sorting everything that goes on about us. (coughs) Most of our self-talk is unconscious. We're not even aware of it. At times, our self-talk comes in feelings that can't quite be put into words. At other times, it comes in little flashes, flickers of thought that never quite catch fire, glow bright enough, or last long enough to become ideas clearly thought out and understood. All of our thoughts, all the pictures in our minds, are always tied to something else that we already know about. If you are given a new thought or a new picture, one you have never thought or imagined before, your brain will immediately find something else in your mind to tie the new information to, to give it a sense, to help you understand. Every new thought that you think has to have some old thoughts to stick to, a proper place to fit. When you are told something new, 
Your brain will, in a fraction of a second, scan through literally millions of mental filing cabinets filled with every idea or thought or impression you've ever stored. In the same fraction of a second, based on the information already stored in your mental files, your brain will send you an instant message telling you how to feel about this new thought, where it should get filed, whether you would should accept it, believe it, keep it, use it, disapprove it, disbelieve it, or throw it out. The more we believe about something, the more we will accept the other ideas that are similar. The more files we have in our mental filing cabinets that tell us something about ourselves, the more we will attract and accept other things and ideas that support and prove what we already have stored in our files. The more you think about yourself in a certain way, the more you will think about yourself in that same certain way. The more you think about anything in a certain way, the more you will believe that that is how it is really true. The mind works this way because the brain always tries to tie any new thing you think to something you already believe. Understanding that makes it easy to see why it is hard to teach an old dog new tricks, to change your minds, to unstick ourselves from the ideas that are solidly stuck in. It also tells us why the longer you believe something, the harder it is to change the belief. The longer you have bought the thought, the truer it is. In our multi- In our mental control centers, we fill to overflowing the files that support what we have told ourselves most, and we throw out anything that disagrees. And meanwhile, we keep ourselves busily, blissfully ignorant of something about us that could have made a difference in our lives, something about ourselves called truth. A self-wall made of negative self-talk. While most self-talk is either unconscious or goes unnoticed, some self-talk is glaringly obvious and not surprisingly clearly self-defeating. Although some of the self-talk people use is constructive and beneficial, most of it is the opposite, the kind of self-talk that is counterproductive and self-defeating. For a period of time during my quest for a more practical path of lasting self-improvement, to see just how pervasive negative self-talk might be, each time I heard an example of this kind of self-talk, I wrote it down. At the time, my list included hundreds of self-talk statements that are made by people every day. Most of the people who use these negative self-talk are not aware of what they're saying, and few, if any of them, are aware of the power of programming and the negative programming that they're giving themselves. If everything you tell yourself about yourself becomes a directive to your subconscious mind, then any time you make a statement about yourself that is negative, you are directing your subconscious mind to make you become the person you just described negatively. Here are some of a few frequent examples used of negative self-talk. As you read them, see if you know someone who says something similar or if you have said anything like this about yourself. I can't remember names. It's going to be another one of those days. It's no use. I just know it won't work. Nothing ever goes right for me. That's just my luck. I'm so clumsy. I don't have the talent. I'm just not creative. Everything I eat goes straight to my waist. Everything I eat goes straight to my thighs. I can't seem to get organized. Today just isn't my day. I can never afford the things I want. I already know I won't like it. No matter what I do, I just can't seem to lose the weight. I never have enough time. I just don't have the patience for that. This makes me really mad. It's another Blue Monday. When will I ever learn? I get sick just thinking about it. Sometimes I just hate myself. I'm just no good. I'm too shy. I never know what to say. With my luck, I won't have a chance. Things just aren't working out right for me. I just don't have the energy I used to. 
I'm totally out of shape. I never have any money left over at the end of the month. Why should I try? It's not going to work anyway. I've never been any good at that. My desk is always a mess. The only kind of luck I have is bad luck. I don't win. I feel like I'm over the hill. Yeah, but somebody always beats me to it. Nobody likes me. I never get a break. It seems like I'm always broke. Everything I touch turns to shit. Nobody wants me to pay pay me what I'm worth. Sometimes I wish I'd never been born. I'm just not good at math. I lose weight, but then I gain it right back. I just get so depressed. I just can't seem to do anything right. I just can't seem to get anything done. Nothing seems to go right for me. I'm not a salesperson. That's impossible. There's just no way. I always freeze up in front of groups. There's nothing I can do without a first cup of coffee in the morning. I just can't get with it today. I'll never get it right. I just can't take it anymore. I hate my job. I get a cold this time every year. I'm just not cut out for this. I'm really at the end of my rope. I just can't trust anyone anymore. I'm not handling this. I just can't handle this. I never seem to get any place on time. I've always been bad with words. If only I were smarter. If only I were taller. If only I had more time. If only I had more money. And on and on and on. Imagine for a moment sitting down at your personal computer keyboard and typing in any of those directions to your computer's permanent memory storage. And imagine that your computer will do whatever it is programmed to do. That's exactly what we're doing to our brains. No wonder things are going wrong. No wonder things don't work out right. If your mental computer, the one that flies your brain, is programmed with the wrong directions, you cannot possibly be as successful as you would like to be. You cannot get where you want to go. Because you are living with the results. One day, I was having lunch with a friend at a coffee shop located in a large convention hotel. While we were waiting for our lunch, we were discussing negative self-talk and commenting on how we end up becoming the results of what we say to ourselves. During our discussion, a perfect example of that very thing happened. Our waitress approached our table with both arms filled with plates of food and she stumbled. She dropped an armlobe of hot food on the table floor in front of us and exclaimed, I'm just so clumsy. My friend and I had just witnessed firsthand the example and results of the simplest kind of negative self-talk. I don't know how many times before the waitress had told herself that she was clumsy, but she had undoubtedly said it to herself often enough before to believe it to be true and then for her brain to make it happen. As another example, let's take something as common as the problem of not being able to remember names. For 25 years, you may have said to yourself, I just don't remember names. Then one evening you go to a party, you're introduced to someone whose name you really want to remember and you say to yourself, I'm going to remember this name. And what happens 10 seconds later? You forgot the name. Why? Because for the past 25 years you've been telling yourself that's what you'll do. You have been programming yourself to forget. Minutes later at the party you find yourself standing there a little embarrassed mentally going through the alphabet trying to remember that person's name. Meanwhile, as you're feeling forgetful and foolish, your subconscious brain is feeling very proud of itself, saying, See, I did what you told me. I made you forget the name. If your self-talk and the direction you wire into your subconscious mind will do that, don't you suppose it will do whatever else you tell it to do as well? If you were to reprogram someone strongly enough for them to believe that it was safe to drive up to an intersection and turn the wrong way into oncoming traffic, they would do it. The human brain will do anything possible you tell it to do if you tell it often enough and strongly enough. If you tell it the wrong thing about yourself, that is exactly what it's going to accept and act upon. 
The subconscious mind does not see the difference between the statement that we are clumsy and the statement that we are graceful, well-coordinated, and in control. It does not know the difference between being told that we are poor and the statement that we are wealthy. It accepts our programming just as we give it. Our internal programming mechanism treats anything we tell it with equal indifference. As a result, when we casually state, no matter what I do, I just can't seem to make enough money to make ends meet. Our subconscious mind says, okay, I'll do what you're telling me to do. I'll make sure you can't make ends meet. In turn, it will lease its powerful control over our mental and physical self to achieve the results that it was told to accomplish. I met one gentleman whom I would consider to be a fine man, but unfortunate. After 20 years of marriage, raising several children into their teens, and building a profitable business, he lost his wife to divorce, his children to the wife, and his business to his partners. But what intrigued me about this man's story was all he ever talked about was his own failures, his defeats, his downfall, his depression and the problems that he was anticipating for his future. It was sad to see someone with his depth, his warmth, his capacities to completely subject himself to the failures he had long ago created for himself in his own mind. As was the case with that individual, our brains will affect and influence what we do in every area of our lives through that complex process of electrochemical, physiological controls that I described earlier. It will directly affect everything about us, from how we get along with someone at home to the amount of money we earn. A typical example of this is how our own self-accepted beliefs about our personal financial capabilities or limitations. Unless we change the program we gave ourselves, the ones that told us we just can't seem to earn enough money, our subconscious mind will successfully accomplish its program test to keep us earning less than we would like. Had we given it the right programming, that same subconscious mind, instead of keeping us poor or average, would gladly have made us rich in every way. Chapter 7, Passing It On Because we learned our programs from people around us, it is natural that we also pass along the same kind of programming to others. Unless we learn differently, we end up giving the same programming to our children. I've collected dozens of examples of statements and comments that loving parents have told their children without even realizing what they were creating, a self-belief in that child that would wire the children for failure instead of happiness and success. You may recognize some of these examples. Sincere, loving, caring parents, teachers, and friends have told this to children. (laughs) You're just no good at that, honey. Your room is always a mess. Can you do anything right? You're just like your father. Which always seems to be said when the child has done something wrong. Why can't you just be more like your sister or your brother? You'll never be an artist or an athlete, etc. Just don't try. You never listen to me. I tell you to do something and you just do the opposite. You never study. Your grades are atrocious. You talk too much. You're always hanging around the wrong kind of friends. You don't even know where home is anymore. You're lazy. You don't care about anyone but yourself. You're determined to cause trouble, aren't you? You just don't think. And so on. And some children, even while you're reading this, are being told most assuredly the most destructive words of, you're just not going to amount to anything, are you? I suspect if some of what is said to children and teenagers behind closed doors is even stronger than these few examples that I've given. But... With that kind of programming, even in its most innocent and casual forms, can you imagine how many times a young, impressionable, unknowing child has been told this and ends up working? it ends up working against them? How many times 
we type a bad program into their personal computers? Of course, much of what we say is said for the purpose of giving our child proper training, a proper upbringing. But in doing so, using the words that program the child in the wrong way, we are unwittingly helping the child create a self-identity that believes the negative things we're saying is the truth. We create a less than healthy portrait of how the child sees himself or herself inside and eventually how they will become. Think for a moment of the dreams you know you could have accomplished in your life. Think of the talents and skills already within you that could have been developed into lasting achievements if you had had the right amount of self-belief, the belief that you could instead of the belief that you could not. Most of us have given a magic wand that when waved would fulfill our dreams would most certainly make some changes in our lives. All of us have had dreams. All of us deserve to see our dreams come true. Were it not for the brick wall of bad programming that stands in our way, each of us, each day, would be living out more of those dreams, reaching heights of attainment we seldom even dreamed of. We are fortunate to be living in a time when we are beginning to understand what goes on inside the credible mechanism we call a brain. By unlocking more and more of its secrets, we have learned that we have a personal vote in the outcome of our own destiny. We have learned that what we put into our brains is what we will get back out. We also have learned that the subconscious mind is like a sponge. It will believe anything you tell it. It will believe a lie. If you tell it often enough and strongly enough, that part of the brain makes no moral judgments. It simply is going to accept what you tell it. Your tablet, your desktop computer doesn't care what is typed into it. It never questions whether you're telling it the truth or not. It just accepts and acts upon whatever you program into it. And as with that computer, it simply makes no different whether things you have told yourself or believed about yourself in the past were true or not. Your brain doesn't care. Your brain never sleeps. Your subconscious mind is working right now. It is working day and night to make sure that you become precisely the person that you have unconsciously described yourself to be. If your program pictures, program picture you, if your programs picture you as having trouble earning enough income, your subconscious mind is doing everything it can right now to make sure that you have trouble earning money. If you have conditioned yourself to believe that you can't stick to a diet, you can be sure your subconscious mind will make sure that no diet will ever work for you, at least not for long. Your subconscious can only do for you what you and others tell it to do. In a previous chapter, I pointed out during that formative years of our lives, each of us is told no and what we cannot do many thousands of times. Each of those cannots was a directive to our subconscious minds. And as we, because of our conditioning, begin to follow suit and say similar cannots to ourselves, we fell into the unconscious habit of programming ourselves in the same wrong way as did our parents, friends, and others around us. And right now, at this moment, each of our subconscious minds is working to make sure we become just as those ten thousands of negative directives programmed us to be. Since that time, of course, we have continued to give ourselves new programs. The examples of negative statements I gave you earlier are only a few leaves in the forests of self negative self-talk. In fact, most of our average habit-formed everyday selves is the kind we don't even notice. It is the kind that we say to ourselves silently, often without words. Much of our self-talk is made up in quiet nudges of self-doubt, unspoken fears of little or grand failures, and nagging discomforts of knowing things just aren't right. When we talk to our friends, sometimes it seems easier to talk about problems than exciting potential. Our daily conversational scripts often sound like they were written by the same editors who write the headlines for the latest viral bad news story. 
We live in our poorly programmed unconscious minds in the disquieting shadow world of uncertainty, believing that we should be achieving but not knowing why after so much frustration and trying, though we're not. Most of the time, most of us reach adulthood. We are so conditioned to think a certain way that our pattern of self-talk becomes habit that is physically wired into our brains, fixed. And for the most, it remains that way. How we look at life, what we believe about ourselves, and how we view anything and what we do about it is getting filtered through our preconceptions. We have told ourselves over and over, consciously and unconsciously, what does not work. In the past too often, we learned automatically to believe the worst first and the best last. And now we have learned that it does not have to be that way. And there is something starting right now that you can do about it. It is the key to how to manage yourself, how you live your life, and manage the rest of your life. Chapter 8, The Self-Management Sequence There is a natural process by which success or failure in managing or controlling our lives takes place. The process consists of a sequence of steps. If we are aware of what the steps are, we can improve our chances and accelerate our advances. If we're not aware of what is causing our success or foiling it, we end up at the mercy of chance. Life is not a matter of luck or fortune. We are not playing our lives out at a gaming table. If we leave our lives up to chance, chances are we'll fail. That is because success is always the results of something else, something that leads up to it. Now we know that there are times when it looks like something good that happens is just an accident. But there are those who would argue that nothing ever happens by accident. Everything that occurs in our lives does does so because of what we mentally create to happen. Most of what seems to happen to you happens because of you. Sometimes you created it, something you directed, influenced, allowed to happen. Let's take your personal successes and failure on average. Whether you are examining your smaller everyday achievements or the bigger monthly or yearly successes, by and large, on average, those achievements and successes are not accidental. They're the results of something else. The same is true of those you didn't, you did that didn't work out so well. On average, the failures too are the result of something else. And that something else in most cases, whether you succeeded or failed, was you. Something you did or did not do was the cause of that success or failure. Here's how it works. The self-management sequence. Five steps that control our successes or failures. One, behavior. The step that most directly controls our successes or failure is our behavior. What we do or what we do not do. Behavior means our actions. How we act, what we do. Each moment of the day will determine whether or not we will be successful at that moment, or at that day in anything that we do. The right series of the right actions will always end up making things work better than the wrong series of the wrong actions. And in most cases, if you do the right thing, you're going to achieve the right results. This step involves even the simplest level of behavior. As an example, if you like your job, do the right thing in the right time and keep at it, there is a good chance that your job will do well for you. If on the other hand, you do not like your work and do things that work against you on the job, It won't work as well for you. Let's use another example. If a student in school refuses to study and never pays attention and misses a lot of classes, all simple behavior, will the student do well in school? Probably not. If that student behaves in a way that says, I don't like being where I am, his or her behavior will ultimately cause a problem. The good grades won't show up. 
and if something doesn't change, eventually neither will the student. The same is true of your home life. If you don't like where you are in your home life, what will you do? If you are like most of us, in one way or another, your behavior and your actions will alert those around you that you are unhappy. The results will be an unhappy home life, or at minimum, you will have to live with disagreements, arguments, and unhappiness in one form or another. On the other hand, if your actions are those that work for you instead of against you, the likelihood is that things around you will have a better chance of working for you instead of against you. But it goes far beyond this. How you manage yourself, what you do, how you act each and every moment of each and every word you speak, motions you make, and the actions you take or do not take will determine how well anything in your life works for you. It does not take a wizard to tell us that when we do the right things, there is always a better chance that things will work out better for us than when we do the wrong things. But why do we do what we want? What we, but why do we do what we do? Why do we not do the things we know we should? So often say and do the things we know we should not. What makes us do what we do? What makes us act the way we act, behave the way we behave? Why do we ever do anything that works against us instead of always doing exactly what works for us? Is it because we don't know better? No. We usually know what's right and what's wrong. The reason we don't heed even our own advice is because of something else that affects, directs, influences, or controls all of our actions. And that something makes us do what it is we do. And it's called, two, our feelings. Every action we take is first filtered through our feelings. How we feel about something will always determine or affect what we do and how well we do it. If we feel good or positive about something, we will behave more positively about it. Our feelings will directly influence our actions. Have you ever watched children who were made to eat something they didn't like? How did they act? I've seen children who looked as though they were going to die right there on the spot. But set a favorite dessert in front of the same child and what will they do? They will look at it as though they're going to dive in head first. What is the difference between one plate of food and the other? It's not the type of food that is better than the other. The difference is how the child feels about the food. The way the child felt determined the actions they took. In one instance, they fought it, and in the other instance, they relished it. I have a friend whose worst fear is that of flying. Ordinarily, she's level-headed and possessive of an even disposition, but because of her fear of being on an airplane, she would rather drive a car from her home in the Midwest to visit her family on the East Coast and lose two or three days getting there than hopping on a plane and being with her family in two or three hours. When circumstances demand that she does fly, she loses her well-mannered, even-tempered, stress levels triple, her anxiety tastes over, and she gets sick even before the flight begins. Is it the flying? No. It's her feelings about flying that cause her to act the way she does. In this example, you'll notice that once again, it made no difference and the individual's feelings were rational. Her feelings, nonetheless, directly controlled, influenced, and severely affected the woman's actions. Your feelings about anything you do will affect how you do it. It doesn't have to be feelings of like or dislike or joy or feel. All of your feelings affect your actions. How you feel about your job, your mate, your family, your money, your health, yourself, your, your success will determine how you behave in every area. If your feelings are positive and productive, your actions will follow. But what causes you to have feelings that are so much a part of you? Did you get them by accident? What created the way you feel about anything? Chance? No. 
your feelings are created, controlled, and determined and influenced by your three attitudes. Your attitudes are the perspectives from which you view your life. Some people seem to have a good attitude about most things. Some people seem to have a bad attitude about everything. But when you look closer, you will find that most of us have a combination of attitudes, some good, some not so good. Whatever attitude we have about anything will affect how we feel about it, which in turn determines how we'll act about it, and that in turn determines whether or not we will do well. So our attitudes play a very important part in helping us become successful. In fact, as we can see, a good attitude is essential to achieving achievement of any kind. We so often hear of someone who is said to have a bad attitude. The term is often applied to young people, especially teenagers who frequently get into trouble. But we often hear this about adults too. The implication is always that the individual in question is not going to make it if they don't change their attitude. And I would agree. Without a good attitude or perspective that allows us to see the opportunities ahead and set our sights to reach them, we never will. But even more important is the fact that in order to possess the kind of feelings that work for us, we've got to have the right attitude to start with. Where do we get our attitudes, though? Are we born with them? Do they just appear out of nowhere? Our attitudes are no accident. They don't just happen. Our attitudes are created, controlled, and influenced entirely by our beliefs. Four. Beliefs. What we believe about anything will determine our attitudes. It will determine our attitude about it, create our feelings, direct our actions, and in each instance, help us do well or poorly, succeed or fail. The belief that we have about anything is so powerful that it can even make something appear to be quite different than it really is. Belief does not require that something actually be the way we see it. It only requires us to believe that's the way it is. Belief does not require something to be true. It only requires that we believe it to be true. That is powerful stuff. That means most of what reality is to each of us is based on what we have come to believe, whether or not it's true. It is possible that tomorrow morning in some classroom in a foreign nation, there will be a little boy or girl who believes that our country is bad. It is also likely tomorrow morning in the same classroom in our country, there will be a young boy or girl who believes their nation is bad. It makes no difference whether or not this is true. It's what they believe. And what they believe affects their attitudes, their feelings, and then their actions. And one day when they grow older, they will see each other as enemies and might try to kill each other. To each of them, it would be right because it is what they believe. When I was a child sitting on a church bench trying to understand what the man in the pulpit was talking about, I remember him telling us to believe. I didn't know how to do that. I thought that some people were lucky and some people were not. I thought some people just naturally got to believe and some people did not. I didn't know yet where belief came from and I certainly didn't know the power that belief would have made in my life and powerful beliefs as they are held in the lives of every human being who has ever lived. As an example of how important belief can be, imagine believing something about yourself, something that is working against you but is not true. Let's say that you believe you have trouble making friends or being accepted easily and naturally by others. You believed you took a social back seat to people who seemed to be more popular 
And as a result, you found yourself standing back at social gatherings, self-conscious and unsure of what to say. At your work, you often missed opportunities because you did not speak up, even when your idea was better than the idea that was accepted from someone else who did speak up. Let's say you knew that you wanted to be intelligent and witty and fun, but you believed that the outside you didn't measure up. Since whatever you believe about yourself will end up affecting what you do, you can be sure that if you believe that you are not socially successful, then your belief about yourself will turn out to be correct, whether it was true or not. Beyond tendencies towards assertiveness or shyness, etc., etc., most social behaviors are conditioned to begin with. No one is born popular or socially adept. Every social grace, skill, and comfort level that we have, success or unsuccessful, or unsuccessful is based on what we learn to believe about ourselves. If you tell yourself you cannot, what is the only outcome? We all have thousands of big and little beliefs about ourselves. Some of them are probably true. I suspect that most of them are not. But your mind will act as though they are all true, if you believe them. What makes us believe? Do our beliefs just one day spring out of nowhere? Were our beliefs handed to us on the day of our birth like birthmarks of hereditary that kept us there forever? Do we create them in ourselves? Where do we get them? Our beliefs are not accidents of nature. Our beliefs are created and directed entirely by our programming. So five, programming. We believe that we are pro- what we are programmed to believe. Our conditioning from the day we were born has created, reinforced, and nearly permanently cemented most of what we believe about ourselves. And what we believe most about ourselves goes on all around us. Whether the programming was right or wrong, true or false, the result of it is what we believe. It starts with our programming. What we have accepted from the outside world or fed to ourselves has initiated a natural cause and effect chain reaction sequence that leads us to successful self-management or the unsuccessful mismanagement of ourselves, our resources, and our future. It is our programming that sets up our beliefs and the chain reaction begins. In logical progression, what we believe determines our attitudes, affects our feelings, directs our behavior, and determines our success or failure. 1. Programming creates beliefs. 2. Beliefs create attitudes. Three, attitudes create feelings. Four, feelings determine actions. Five, actions create results. And that's how the brain works. If you want to manage yourself in a better way and change your results, you can do so at any time. Start with the first step. Change your programming. Chapter 15, Getting Started. Now let's review what we've learned about self-talk and how you can best get started using it. Since I first started researching and writing about self-talk in the 1980s, we've learned a great deal about it and how to change it. Today, people all over the world have become positive self-talkers, and in the interest, and the interest in self-talk continues to grow dramatically. While the inaugural edition of this book was first published in 1986, its readership never stopped expanding, and today, editions are published in nearly 70 countries, and the number is still growing. As the popularity of self-talk has grown, there have been an increasing torrent of people who want to change their programs and rewire their brains by practicing positive self-talk. As we just saw, recorded self-talk sessions with specially worded, repeated self-talk phrases have been listened to in every format from early cassette tape to compact disc to today's self-talk sections that are now streamed on the internet. 
people read self-talk from daily inspirational calendar books and the series titled 365 Days of Positive Self-Talk that I began publishing in 2015, and thousands of followers have read my self-talk posts each day on Facebook. The reason positive self-talk has grown globally in popularity is due to research in the field of neuroscience that has shown the majority of self-talk plays scientifically in our attitudes, our health, our well-being, and our success throughout our entire lives, and people get it. In our computer-driven age, people quickly understand the basics of self-talk and programming, and they want to know how to use the science of self-talk to make their lives better. Fortunately, we've learned very specifically how to do that. There is a three-step process that I've taught in recent years that nails the job of making self-talk work. The key steps are monitor, edit, and listen. And here it is. Monitor. Monitor your self-talk. Practice being aware of all your words and thoughts. The best way to monitor your self-talk is to practice mindfulness. As if we were using as we are using it here, mindfulness is being aware of being aware. The concept comes from the practice of meditation, and it is proved to be a major player in the science of well-being. Mindfulness not only helps you become aware of what you're thinking at all times, it also creates balance, reduces stress, and lowers the volume of the amygdala, the brain's fight-or-flight alarm system. The reason mindfulness is so important to self-talk is that in order to change it, you have to start by being aware of what your self-talk is now. And you do this by creating the habit of monitoring your self-talk at all times. Listen for any messages you give yourself that could wire your brain to work against you. Listen to both the words that you say out loud and the words that you say silently or think to yourself. Self-talk is going on in your brain at all times, although we're aware of less than 10% of it. Your self-talk can either be conscious or unconscious dialogue, and it includes everything you think about yourself or anything else. When you start monitoring your self-talk, you'll be listening carefully to yourself, so you'll start to notice things you've been saying to yourself that could be working against you. When you are aware of the self-talk that you're using now, you know what you want to change. Edit. When you hear yourself using the wrong kind of self-talk, either thinking or saying the wrong things, immediately edit the message. Change it. In that moment, turn it around and rephrase it in the positive. I just can't seem to get organized today. Immediately becomes, I am organized and in control today especially. When you hear yourself say something like, I really got a problem with this, turn it around. Say, I can handle this. I am a capable person and I handle problems well. I just can't seem to lose the weight becomes losing weight is not a problem for me. I eat exactly what I should and only the right healthy amount. I'm losing weight and looking great. We make hundreds of comments or statements on any given day and it might not even seem important to phrase each of these messages in a positive way. But consider that each of those messages are an actual directive to your subconscious mind and those that are repeated often enough will be physically wired into your brain. And then add up all those thoughts and comments over a year. They add up to tens of thousands of very important subconscious self-directives. They're important and they have a great deal to do with what you accomplish, how you feel about anything, and who you become. By itself, editing your self-talk won't erase the programs you already have. But if you keep doing it, editing it will forever stop you from wiring it any more of the same. And listen. 
As we learned in the previous chapter, many people who want to change their self-talk listen to sessions of positive self-talk phrases that are downloaded or streamed to their phones or tablets. They do this because learning new self-talk talk is very much like learning a new language. You learned your first language by having it spoken around you in the background of your life. When you were first learning the language you grew up with, your brain recorded the words and phrases you were hearing each day with repetition wired them permanently. Wiring your brain now by listening to repeated self-talk phrases works exactly the same. As I mentioned, when I was first researching the subject of self-talk, I had a personal breakthrough. I wanted to lose weight, and to help me do that, I decided to listen to specifically worded self-talk recordings that I played in the background for about 15 minutes each morning while I was shaving. By listening to the repeated self-talk phrases in, in this way each day, I was rewiring my brain to see myself in a slimmer, healthier, new way. It worked, and it changed my life. In the next 10 and a half weeks, I lost 58 pounds shaving. To this day, the weight has never come back. I got rid of the old programs that caused the weight problem in the first place. And after all that struggle, after I had tried so many other approaches only to face one disappointment after another, I finally found a solution that lasted. I got the positive results I wanted all along by listening to the right self-talk. I rewired my brain. The key is repetition. It was the way it was the experience of using new positive self-talk to lose weight that first made me aware that anyone who wanted to change their self-talk, no matter what they wanted to improve in their life, could do so by simply repeating the self-talk each day as I had. The results of that experience was now people all over the world listen to self-talk every day. Listening to self-talk is the most effective means I've ever found for changing our programs. After years of seeing so many people change their lives by listening, I have come to the conclusion that self-talk should be listened to in every home, everywhere, and I'm working on it. It could change the world. It would change the world. The reason listening to self-talk is so effective is that it gives you the repetition that is required to rewire your brain, and it does so without you having to take any extra time or consciously work at it. As we've seen, the more Often, the same messages are repeated the stronger the brain rewires them in. Listening to self-talk each day while you're getting ready in the morning, driving the car, going about your day, or listening when you're going to sleep at night creates this repetition. To view a list of available self-talk sessions, go to stream self-talk sessions to your listening device. Go to shadhelmstetter.com. Chapter 2, The Answers. There is always an answer, of course. There are countless self-help answers that any of us can find in any bookstore or seminar classroom. If we are to believe what we read on dust jackets of self-help bestsellers or to hear from dynamic speakers on stage, all any of us has to do is read the right book and attend the right program and beginning tomorrow we'll be able to change what we'd like to change, live better, and find the achievement each of us is seeking. For many years, I studied the philosophies of success, analyzed the list of instructions and the how-tos of making more money, being a better manager, losing weight, overcoming depression, getting a better job, setting goals, living with others, managing time, or, or just generally being successful. I tried the success techniques for myself and talked to dozens of others from many walks of life that had done the same. I talked at length with many of the leaders of the success industry, corporations whose business it is to teach us to be more successful. I talked to the customers who had attended the seminars, bought the books, listened to the audio tools, watched the videos. 
I talked to the employees of companies who were in the business of helping people become successful to learn if they, too, applied the principles that their companies promoted, to learn what really worked and what did not. I immersed myself in the world of success, examining every facet of that fascinating field from the inside out. I consulted with the leaders of the industry. I examined their methods, their systems, their solutions. And all that time of studying so much of the field of success, I found a consistent promise. The promise of our success was waiting just around the corner. But as I read the books, studied the seminar concepts, and examined the best of the motivational tools and techniques available, I realized that the promise was ultimately unfulfilled. I saw that even the best-selling success solutions were able to create lasting changes in only a handful of the tens of thousands of people who were trying them. They would work for a time, and then the average individual would revert to his old ways. After the excitement of the brand new self-belief wore off, the dreams gave way to the realities of everyday living. Have you ever attended a function or a meeting in which someone gave a rousing motivational talk? Have you ever read a book that caught your attention as being life-changing? You got excited and motivated and you, put, you wanted to put those ideas into practice only to have the book wind up forgotten on a dusty shelf next to the other great ideas just like it? Have you ever been inspired to change to achieve something important and then stopped? Where did the inspiration and motivation go and why didn't it last? If there are so many answers to our questions about what to do to make life better, why have so many people failed at making these great ideas work? Or if they worked it for a time, what makes them stop working? It became obvious to me after all my research that within the information on how to lead a better life, how to find more happiness and personal fulfillment, something vital was missing. It was something so essential, so important to the whole process of achieving success that without it, the solutions wouldn't work, at least not for any length of time. And the problem is not with the books. The problem is not with the seminars or the motivational talks. There are a lot of personal growth concepts and techniques that are wonderful and they could and should work. There has to be a good reason why the help they give us isn't permanent. And after studying the success ideas and solutions that could work for us, I began to reorganize that there was, or I began to recognize that there was also something working against us. I was quite young when I first heard the biblical passage that reads, As a man thinketh, so is he. I recall shaking my head thinking, that could not be. How can we possibly be what we think? After all, isn't our physical self one thing and our private thoughts another? Little did I, or most of us then, understand the biblical passage that hit the nail of truth squarely on the head. It would be years later, however, after following the discoveries through which modern-day neuroscientists had begun to unlock the secrets of the human mind, that I would come to know just how correct, how scientifically correct, that biblical passage had been. After you examine the philosophies, the theories, the practice methods of influencing human behavior, you'll find, as I did, that it gets down to the truth of one powerful fact. You will become what you think about the most. Your success or failure in anything, large or small, will depend on your programming, what you accept from others, and what you say when you talk to yourself. At the time, I first recognized that this was a simple clue that could lead to a breakthrough in individual attitude and performance. Most of what we thought we understood about the human brain was little more than speculation. Medical researchers and neuroscientists had not yet explored or mapped the mazes of the brain to the extent they have today. Few of the brain's complex electrochemical mysteries were fully understood. 
But today, as research continues, the brain is giving up more and more of its secrets, and each day, more progress is made, and researchers have learned to anticipate an unending drama of new discoveries. An understanding of an incredibly important function of our own personal computer, the human brain, is what has been missing from most of our attempts at creating formulas for personal growth. The answer to the problem turned out to be the result of something that had been almost entirely overlooked. We are trying to force the brain to do something that it has not been programmed to do. We want to create success within rules of success, but that's not how the brain works. That's not how your brain is wired. The reason why some people accomplish nearly every task more easily than others, achieve their goals more readily, and live their lives more fully is this. Those who appear to be luckier than the rest of us have actually only gotten better mental programming to start with. Or they have learned how to erase negative old programming and replace it with something better. In the last few decades, we have learned more about the workings of the human brain than was known throughout all history prior to this time. We now know that by an incredibly complex physiological mechanism, a joint effort of the body and brain and mind, we become the living results of our own thoughts. It is no longer a success theory, but a simple, powerful fact. Neither luck nor desire has the slightest thing to do with it. It makes no difference whether we believe it or not. The brain simply believes what you tell it the most and what you tell it about you it will create your brain has no choice through scientific discovery in the field of neuroscience research into how the brain works to the effect to affect every moment of our day-to-day lives we have proved the relationship between our own programming how we are mentally wired and our success or failure in any endeavor we undertake from something as important as a lifetime goal to something as small as what we do in a single day Have you ever considered just how much of what you do, how you act, how successful you are, is dependent on the conditioning, the programming you received from others, and the conditioning you subsequently accepted and keep giving yourself? It is virtually impossible for any of us to do anything, no matter how insignificant, without being affected by that programming. Every step you take, every move you make, every word you say is affected. It follows that if every action you take of any kind is affected by prior programming, then the end results of your actions are equally affected. In short, how successful you will be at anything is inexplorably tied directly to the words and beliefs about yourself that you have stored in your subconscious mind. And what is stored there for most of us was decided for us by someone else. The human brain, that incredibly powerful personal biochemical computer that each of us has, is capable of doing for you anything reasonable that you'd like it to do. But you have to know how to treat it. You have to know how to wire it in the right way. If you do it right, if you give it the right direction, it will do the right thing and it will work for you in the right direction. If we give our mental computers the wrong directions, it will act on the wrong directions and will continue to respond to the negative programming that we have given it and the rest of the world have been giving it. We have literally been wiring our brains in the wrong way physically without even being aware of it. The 148,000 knows. I'll give you an example of some of the negative program most of us have received. The kind of programming that along the way eventually got hardwired into the physical structure of our mental computers. And those seemingly harmless words build up inside our subconscious minds, word by word, thought by thought, eventually creating a brick wall of failure that we often don't even see, much less know how to fix. 
Here's how it works. During the first 18 years of your life, if we grew up in a fairly average, reasonably positive home, we were told no or what we could not do or what we could not work more than 148,000 times. If you were more fortunate, you may have only been told no 100,000 times or perhaps 50,000 times. However, it was considerably more negative programming than any of us needs. Meanwhile, during the same period, the first 18 years of your life, how often do you suppose you were told what you could do, what you could accomplish in life? Maybe a few thousand, a few hundred? During my speaking engagements to audiences across the country, I have had people tell me that they could not remember being told what they could accomplish in their life more than three or four times. Whatever the number, for most of us, the yeses we received simply never balanced out the noes. The occasional words of belief were just that, occasional, and they were far outweighed by our daily doses of cannot. This negative programming that we all receive and still receive has come to us quite unintentionally. It has come to us from parents who wanted to protect us. It came to us from our brothers and sisters and teachers and schoolmasters, associates at work, our life mates, advertising of all kinds, the six o'clock news on television, and unlimited posts on the internet. Leading behavioral researchers have told us that as much as 77% of everything we think is actually negative, it is counterproductive, and it works against us. At the same time, researchers have said that as much as 75% of all illnesses are self-induced. It's no wonder. What if these researchers are correct? That means as much as 77% or more of our programming is the wrong kind. Until recently, no one understood well enough the human mind or how the human brain gets wired or rewired and that this programming and wiring process goes on throughout our entire lives. The result was that without knowing what we were doing and without us recognizing the immense effect that this casual programming was having on us, without anyone being aware of it, everything and everyone around us has been programming us. Enter the power of repetition. Unfortunately, most of the programming we see was the wrong kind of programming and we took it to heart and our brains wired it in. And year after year, word by word, our life scripts were etched by others. Layer by layer, nearly, nearly indelible, our self-images were created. In time, we, joined, we ourselves joined in. We began to believe what we were told by others and what they were telling us was true about ourselves. No matter how innocently given or subtly implied, we began hearing the same words and thoughts repeatedly. Hundreds, even thousands of times we were told or we told ourselves what we could not do, what we could not accomplish. Repetition is a convincing argument. Eventually, we believed what others told us and what we told ourselves the most. We began to live out the picture of ourselves that we had created in our own minds. And in time, we became what we most believed about ourselves. And in doing so... We created the wall of failure and self-doubt that for most of us will stand invisibly but powerfully between us and our unlimited future as long as our old programming remains in force. Unless the programming we received is erased or replaced with different programming, it will stay with us permanently and will affect and direct everything we do for the rest of our lives. Fortunately, that doesn't have to be the case. What could your future hold? Because of important breakthroughs in the field of neuroscience, we no longer are at the mercy of our old programs and old conditioning that were never true about us in the first place. 
we can begin to truly live into the unlimited potential each of us was born with because we now understand how to rewire the brain, taking control of the day-to-day verbal programming process. Think for a moment what you might do differently tomorrow if you were someone else, someone whose programming was different than yours. Or what you might do differently if you'd been brought up with a completely different, more positive set of attitudes and beliefs and feelings from those that you have now. Attitudes and beliefs and feelings that in every case would assure you of having an abundance of self-belief, enthusiasm, and achievement. If you had just the right kind of successful new programs, would you be doing the same thing for a living that you're doing now? Would you be doing your job exactly the same way? What about your personal life? What would you change? Would you improve anything? Would you reach more goals than you've ever reached? Would you have more money in the bank or more financial security than you have now? What about your day-to-day life? Would it be less frustrating and more rewarding? And with different preparations and conditioning, what could your future hold? Would it be the same future that holds you for today? Would it be better? What if each and every day, from the time you were a small child, you'd been given an extra helping of self-confidence, double the amount of determination, and twice the amount of belief in the outcome? Can you imagine what tasks you might accomplish more easily, what problems you would overcome, and goals you could reach? After all, success ultimately is up to the individual. It isn't the pen. It's the writer. It isn't the road. It's the runner who counts. Whatever age you are now, however many successes or failures you've had along the way, what if you could now change that old mental programming? What if you could physically rewire your brain? What if you could do it in such a way that you could affect and improve your attitudes and your beliefs quickly, not through years of difficult study or training, but easily and simply anytime you choose to do so? This is exactly what your brain will do. We now know precisely how to change our old programming and how to replace it with specific word-for-word new programs. And those new programs in time lead to a better brain wiring, which leads to happier, more successful lives for all of us. Our new understanding of the brain's neuroplasticity is its ability to rewrite itself throughout our entire lifetime. It's the understanding that can help us make vital changes in the programming we accept from others and what we say when we talk to ourselves. And when you decide to apply the new understanding to your everyday life in a simple, dedicated way, the unfulfilled promise at the end of your successful journey can, at last, be realized.